Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Sustainalytics podcast. My name is Doug Morrow, and I'm a director on the thematic research team here at Sustainalytics. And we're here today to talk about carbon risk. This is certainly one of the big themes right now in today's responsible investment industry. And I'm joined today by Joris Lassur. He's from our Amsterdam office, and he's the manager on the Sustainalytics carbon team. So welcome, Joris. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's start with just a high-level question. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about what you mean or what we mean by, by carbon risk? What exactly does that refer to? Um, it refers to climate change. And essentially, climate change introduces two kinds of risk, and, and carbon risk being one of them, and the other one is physical climate risk. And so carbon risk refers to the need to mitigate our own man-made greenhouse gas emissions, and it's also commonly referred to as transition risk. So at Sustainalytics, we've stuck to the term carbon risk, but transition risk is also commonly used. Um, and for global warming not to disrupt the global economy, companies and their financiers need to manage this risk. And ultimately, the Paris Agreement requires decarbonization of the entire economy with unavoidable emissions even being captured and stored or perhaps even utilized. Um, so we need to turn not only to a low carbon economy, but ultimately it needs to be a net zero or even net negative carbon economy, which is hugely ambitious. And so if we fail to manage carbon risk adequately, physical climate risk, so that's the other side of climate change, the physical risk is expected to increase dangerously. Um, examples of that are heat stress, extreme rainfall, drought, storms, sea level rise, and wildfires. And um, to complicate it a little bit further, there are also second order effects. So those physical direct effects can lead to ecosystem collapse, hunger, disease, mass migration, and all sorts of other nice things. Right, right. Okay, so what we're saying here is that carbon risk uh, is also commonly referred to as, as transition risk and is uh, a basket of risks that is distinct from the physical implications of, of climate change, uh, including the examples you mentioned, such as heat stress and rainfall, etc. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So that's quite a complex system, the climate system, and how, how we influence that as humans. Sure. So can you talk a little bit about what investors... Uh, can do and are doing to mitigate carbon risk in their investment portfolios? Um, well, at first, investors focused on establishing a portfolio carbon footprint, quantifying the emissions associated with the finance business activities. This has been very useful and continues to be needed to address the impact of investment on climate change. However, a carbon footprint cannot necessarily be interpreted as a forward-looking measure of investment risk. The Financial Stability Board set up the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, short TCFD, to address exactly this and enable, enable companies and their investors to provide more decision-useful information. So we're really seeing a shift now where um, yeah, the risk information is not replacing carbon footprint or screening information but really complementing that so we need investors to care about their impact on the planet and the people but uh, the same um, data also impact their their investments as well so so especially uh, supervisory regulators are 
are concerned that these risks are, are perhaps not adequately addressed by investors worldwide. Sure, sure. Now, you mentioned portfolio carbon footprint. Can you just elaborate a little bit on, on, on what that means? Like, what exactly does that look like at the end of the day? Yeah, typically, uh, an investment portfolio contains many different companies, and companies have done carbon footprinting on their operations and over time also of their entire value change uh, quite well. So there's lots of data coming from individual companies. And the trick for investors is to aggregate all those company data uh, to the portfolio level. So typically, you would calculate a carbon intensity or uh an amount of carbon per invested dollar or euro and multiply that by a portfolio rate weight to arrive at a figure that represents the carbon footprint or the carbon intensity of a portfolio as a whole. And so that's been an area of development uh, independently and it's been very useful um, to inform clients and in some cases also to set decarbonization targets but uh, it has fallen short to inform investors and their supervisors uh, about what this does with respect to financial risk. Sure, sure. So in, in some ways, it might be a first step that investors can take to begin to think about or assess uh, carbon risk in their investment portfolios. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not exactly um, uh, you know, a dedicated forward-looking tool. Yes, exactly. So it continues to serve very valuable purposes, but the task force of the FSB uh, really understands that uh, from a materiality or financial risk perspective, there needs to be more than a footprint because not every ton of emissions in a portfolio uh, affects the risk return profile of the investment necessarily. Sure, sure. So... So thanks for that. Let's, if we can, just shift gears then for, for one second and talk about how Sustainalytics um, thinks about carbon risk and some of the tools that we have built to help investors measure this. So um, what is the Sustainalytics carbon risk rating and, and how would uh, you describe it? What exactly does it measure? Yeah, so Sustainalytics has been doing carb portfolio carbon footprinting and analytics and screenings on fossil fuels and also uh, carbon solutions like renewable energy, green transportation and green real estate, to name a few. Those are all very useful if you have an impact focus. But if, if you want to add a materiality lens to that, uh, you need something else. And that's why we've recently launched our carbon risk rating and it assesses the degree to which a company value is at risk driven by the transition to a low carbon economy. So that's that's a whole different angle and it's very it's been very exciting already to talk to our clients and and, and out there being out there and add this new perspective. And maybe uh, I can elaborate a little bit on that. Our rating uh, comprises two components. It's exposure as well as management where management helps to reduce exposure. Our starting point is an assessment of the exposure at the level of 147 different sub-industries based not only on carbon emissions data, but also our assessments of regulatory pressure, market conditions and technological developments. And then next, um, we turn that sub-industry exposure assessment into something company specific. And that's informed by an industry specific selection of indicators. Um, maybe I should give an example. 
Um, so you have an oil company that ha is in the oil industry that would have a certain exposure, in this case, a relatively high exposure. And then if an oil company has very significant exposure to uh, oil, then that would typically increase its exposure relative to its peers, relative to its sub-industry average exposure. And if it's, if it's progressively uh, shifting into renewable energy, then that would decrease its exposure. So that's very interesting. And then management programs on carbon risk or carbon emissions reduction would help improve management. And if you're good at management, you reduce your exposure. And what you're left with is a residual called unmanaged risk. And that's what we're really measuring here. Uh, and then lastly, uh, we assess these things both for the company's operation as well as its products and services. So again, an example, uh, carbon risk really materializes for a car maker in its product. So it's, yeah, I mean, there's emissions in, in, involved in manufacturing a car, but the, the real big thing is currently still with the conventional combustion engines, what's coming out of the tailpipes of all those cars sold. So carbon risk materializes for both operations and its product for a car maker, but much more so for its product, as long as it hasn't electrified its fleet uh, to a large scale. With an airline, as another example, it's different. It's just flying the aircraft. So the, the, the carbon risk for an airline is really in its own operations, operating the aircraft. And then lastly, so we had the cars where it's mainly with the product. We have the airline where it's mainly with operating its aircraft. And then lastly, an oil company, it's materializing both in, in producing oil and gas, but also in its product after, after they sell that oil and gas and it's applied in products or combusted to, to generate power, for example. So it sounds like the carbon risk rating is company specific, but you also talked about uh, using industries as a starting point. So um, does the exposure is the exposure constant for all sub industries and then the management at different companies uh, can can vary? Is that how the tool works? Uh, you're almost there, uh, but the exposure is also very company specific. So the starting point is indeed a sub industry is a level assessment. But then we have adjustments either up or downwards for each company to reflect the exposure of that specific company. So uh, the starting point for companies within a specific sub-industry is the same, but then we have a beta that adjusts that exposure up or downwards for each company informed by a set of indicators. Okay. Now, is there any relationship between an industry's um, absolute emission levels and its exposure score. In other words, um, do industries that emit more carbon, do we see these as fundamentally more or less risky or is there no relationship at all? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And it's a question that we, we frequently get. And it also speaks to the different scopes uh, known from the GHG protocol. So you have scope one and two relating to really the own operations of every company and scope three relating to everything else in the value chain, both up and downstream and not all emissions. So yeah, the first part of the answer is the whole value chain matters. So for from our footprint perspective, you do need to consider what's happening up and downstream in, in every value chain, but not all of these emissions in that value chain have the same risk profile. So for 
again, maybe take a car maker as an example, the risk associated with the emissions coming out of its product is much more visible and urgent than the risk associated with the manufacturing of the steel or the aluminum with their suppliers to, to manufacture the car. So yes, carbon footprint data helps inform our exposure assessment, but it's falling short to inform our risk assessment. So we look at what's happening with upcoming regulations, what's happening with available substitutes, and also what's happening in the market if consumer demand is shifting, for example. Thank you for that, Joris. So, I mean, obviously, you know, carbon risk, climate change are, as I said before, extremely important topics right now in the responsible investment community. And invest. there's no doubt that investor awareness around these issues is, is mounting. I just want to close out with a forward-looking question. How do you expect this space to evolve in the next little bit? And how do you see the investor response to, uh, uh, to this challenge materializing over the next couple of years? Yeah, it's, a, it's not the easiest question to end with, but uh, to, to give you a short answer, uh, trying to give you a short answer there is that we're concerned not only about the impact of investments on climate change, but also about the impact of climate change on investments. So both ways. And um, this, this new materiality perspective that we're offering ha- can help investors prioritize the necessary changes to asset allocation and daily portfolio management as well. So it's not that we want uh, cement producers and airlines to relax because risk is slower to materialize for them for the lack of low carbon alternatives at the moment. Uh, I think fundamentally TCFD uh, agrees that we don't want a tragedy of the horizon, horizon, as Mark Carney nicely put it at the the time, that um, uh, a a short-term investor could quickly dismiss carbon risk as something that's not going to materialize anytime soon within his or her uh, time frame of a few years only at most. But fundamentally... Mm -hmm. um, the whole global economy is going to be disrupted within the next decades potentially and therefore we cannot afford not to internalize this externality of climate change so the probability that we need to get this transition to a low carbon economy to us and also i think to to many including the tcfd is 100 it needs to happen and so our new tool just helps you uh, get us get a um, differentiation in sense of urgency that for cars it's materializing a lot quicker now than for aircraft uh, also for utilities it's much more urgent and, and pressing for them to transition than for cement or steel manufacturers obviously uh, but uh, yeah i think the pressure is on and uh, all these industries have a big task of preparing for a very different future uh, that requires different inputs to their processes and also redesigning of products as well. Wow, some big uh, issues there and some very thoughtful comments. So thank you very much, Joris, for closing out um, w- with that view. So I think I think with that, we can uh, end the podcast. So thank you again to Joris Lasur for joining us today. And thanks again to our listeners. And we look forward to uh, hosting you again next time. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye.